Hello everyone and thank you for joining me for this podcast. Obesity is a condition where the body stores too much fat. Obesity levels are rising dramatically across the world. In fact, since 1975, it's estimated that the number of obese people has almost tripled. One of the chronic diseases that's linked to obesity is type 2 diabetes. And the dramatic rise in individuals suffering from this disease is causing a global medical emergency. In a world where our knowledge of the importance of diet and exercise is at our peak, the battle against being overweight, you could argue, is being lost. So in this podcast, what I'd like to do is talk about obesity specifically as a genetic problem. So by looking at, first of all, how we calculate BMI and what BMI is all about, outline the problems associated with obesity and how it develops, the hypotheses to explain the genetics of obesity, the role of leptin in appetite, and finally, we'll look at the treatments together. An obese person is severely overweight and has a BMI greater of 30. So what do we mean by BMI? Well, BMI stands for Body Mass Index. It's a measure which compares body mass to height, and it's calculated using a really simple equation. You simply take the mass in kilograms and you divide it by the height squared in metres. The calculated BMI can be used to determine whether a person is overweight. Now, BMI, there's lots of studies out there that show that BMI isn't entirely accurate. But I don't really want to focus in this podcast on the ins and outs of BMI. I mean, I can in a later one, but I'm just merely making reference to it as as a form of measurement here. What I would like to focus on, though, are the problems associated with obesity. Because increasing the amount of fat puts a strain on body systems and it's a major risk factor for conditions such as CVD or cardiovascular disease, diabetes as I've mentioned, high blood pressure, cancer, osteoarthritis of the joints, stroke. It not only increases the risk of developing chronic diseases but it reduces life expectancy. Millions of people die unnecessarily every year from conditions that are directly related to obesity. The number of children and young people who are obese is rising rapidly. So what's causing it? Well, it's not so simple as just to say simply eating more food. Food is eaten to supply the body ultimately with a source of energy, materials for growth and repair, and micronutrients like vitamins and minerals which act as coenzymes, cofactors and prosthetic groups. But to to maintain a constant mass, there must be a balance between the number of calories taken into the body in food and the energy expended for metabolic reactions. If more calories or kilojoules are consumed than body requires, then the excess food is stored as fat. Uh, Interesting fact, in fact, historically, calories that are units of energy uh, refers to, so if we take one calorie, it's actually the amount of heat needed to raise the temperature of one gram of water by 10 degrees C. It's an odd one. Calories aren't SI units per se, but are still widely used to refer to the energy value of food. So when doing calculations, we actually talk about it in terms of joules and kilojoules. So one calorie is actually equal to about 4.186 joules. Now, body mass increases due to several factors. Overeating and frequent eating. But also eating too many carbohydrates, so processed sugary foods physical inactivity, 
certain diseases, so hypothyroidism, psychological factors, medications, so things like antidepressants and steroids, but also genetics play a part. Other factors are also associated with obesity, and they can include ethnicity, so certain ethnic groups have a greater risk of mass gain. Age. People tend to be less active as they get older, and will gain mass if they don't ultimately adjust their calorie intake. Childhood mass is an interesting one. An overweight child is likely to develop poor eating habits and become overweight as an adult. And hormones. Women gain mass during their menstrual cycles, when pregnant, but also during the menopause. And those changes are caused by fluctuations in hormone levels, specifically. So let's go into a bit more detail about the physiology of obesity. Ingested food is broken down into small soluble molecules. They are glucose, uh, fatty acids, glycerol and amino acids. The presence of these molecules in the small intestine stimulates the release of insulin from the pancreas. Insulin is what we call an anabolic hormone. Its function is to enable cells to store absorbed glucose. It travels in the blood and brings about ultimately the following. The uptake of glucose into cells like muscle, like liver and adipose tissue. It also results in the synthesis of glycogen from glucose by hepatocytes in the liver. We also get the conversion of glucose into fatty acids in the liver, and those fatty acids are transported to the cells in the form of lipoproteins. And finally, we have the uptake of glucose into adipocytes and its conversion into glycerol. Fatty acids transported in the blood from the liver are combined with the glycerol, creating what we call triglycerides. So in summary, insulin drives cells to oxidise carbohydrates for energy release and it stimulates the deposition of fat in adipose tissue. Any factor that stimulates the insulin glucose pathway will ultimately increase fat storage. Scientists worldwide have attempted to find a link though between obesity and genotype. So we're talking about our genetics specifically here. Individuals vary greatly in their tendency to lay down fat in the body. So that suggests there is a genetic predisposition to fat storage. The increase in allele frequency in populations is much slower than the rate at which obesity is spreading. So environmental factors must be playing a role. The hypotheses that have been promoted or proposed rather show that the laying down of fat is due to both genetics and the environment. In 1962, a geneticist called James Neal put forward the thrifty gene hypothesis. Now, this stated that certain thrifty genes, if you like, enable the body to store fat efficiently when there is a plentiful supply of food. Where food supplies become limited by things like drought or famine, these genes would enable individuals to store food in the body and be able to survive major food shortages. In the current environment, where huge quantities of cheap food are readily available, the automatic storage of fat in the body is a major health hazard. Now, there were several flaws to the thrifty gene hypothesis. Records show that most people in uh, famine die of diseases like cholera and typhoid, rather than the lack of food. So this means that both obese and slender people would die equally. The levels of mortality during a famine don't appear, or did not appear rather, to have given enough of a selection pressure to encourage the spread of the thrifty genes. 
If there were a selection pressure for thrifty genes, then a population with these genes should become obese between famines. This is because the thrifty gene advantage is to make individuals fat, ultimately. A lower metabolic rate results in more energy being conserved and greater volumes of fat being stored. Therefore, obese people should have lower metabolic rates. Now, the evidence for this has not been shown consistently, and that's key. Then we have the thrifty phenotype hypothesis. The thrifty phenotype hypothesis proposes a link between poor nutrition in a fetus and the development of conditions like type 2 diabetes or coronary heart disease, CHD, stroke, hypertension, so high blood pressure later in life. The hypothesis suggests that the developing fetus is programmed in the uterus to survive in conditions where food is scarce. Babies born with the thrifty phenotype show adaptations which would be beneficial in conditions where there is a shortage of food. These include a smaller body size, a slower metabolic rate and reduced activity. Babies born with the thrifty phenotype who grow up with plenty of available food are prone to diseases like obesity and type 2 diabetes. Leptin is thought to be responsible for these postnatal conditions. However, the relative contribution of genes and environment in this condition is debatable. And then we have the thrifty epigenetic hypothesis. A gene called PTEN is a tumour repressor gene. It inhibits cell division. The gene also helps regulate the insulin pathway. Methylation of the gene and hence its expression, varies according to the availability of specific nutrients, particularly choline and methionine. Deficiency of these chemicals increases the activity of DNA methyltransferase enzyme, which basically promotes methylation of the PTNEN, rather gene promoter, and it suppresses its activity, basically. So, for example, mice given a choline-deficient diet developed fatty liver disease. That condition is associated with repression of the PTEN gene. PTEN under expression would promote fat storage. If you are interested in learning more about epigenetics, there is a uh, podcast on methylation, acetylation and epigenetics more generally. So I mentioned leptin earlier. When does leptin come into this story? Well, leptin is a protein hormone which is released by adipose tissue. The gene coding for leptin production is called the OB gene. Now, the target organ for leptin is the hypothalamus of the brain. Leptin helps reduce hunger and therefore helps regulate the level of fat stored in the body. The leptin levels in the body for each person are set at a particular threshold. Now, this is probably genetically determined. If the leptin levels rise above the norm, this sends a signal to the brain to show that the body has sufficient energy reserves. When a person diets, their adipose cells lose fat and the amount of leptin produced is therefore reduced. Paradoxically, obese people often have high levels of leptin. This is because obese people develop what we call leptin resistance. Their brains no longer respond to leptin, so they will keep overeating. The person with leptin resistance will have a large number of fat cells, creating, ultimately, greater levels of leptin. Now, leptin resistance may be due to a number of factors. Inflammatory signals in the hypothalamus, 
a high level of free fatty acids in the blood which interfere with leptin signaling or high levels of leptin uh, that result in saturation of leptin transporters into the cells. Leptin resistance may be reversible but it will require lifestyle and dietary changes. Congenital leptin deficiency is a rare genetic condition. A person with that condition can't produce leptin and will suffer from uncontrolled food intake. That results in severe overweight in childhood, delayed puberty and a poor immune system. But that condition can thankfully be treated with leptin injections. Melanocyte stimulating hormone is a collective term for a group of protein hormones which have a range of roles in the body. Now one of these hormones can suppress appetite. It does that by acting on receptors in the hypothalamus. The gene MC4R codes for a receptor for the melanocyte stimulating hormone. Now over 300 different mutations in the MC4R gene have been found. Some mutations switch the gene off and the patient doesn't receive signals to say that they're full after a meal. Mutations like this are responsible for childhood obesity. Some mutations mean that the gene is constantly switched on, so people with the mutation don't feel hungry, and they will be naturally thinner. I think if we were to sum up, one thing really is clear, and that's that the obesity epidemic cannot be explained in terms of genetics alone. There are genes that influence the distribution of fat and affect appetite. However, the availability of cheap, processed, fast food is overriding our natural homeostatic mechanisms. Excess body fat causes serious health issues and willpower alone does not seem to provide a solution. A gene to control appetite could be the way forward, but this is yet to be found. In most cases, a healthy diet and exercise can help offset a genetic predisposition towards obesity. On that note, I'd like to bring the podcast to a close. Thank you all for listening uh, to this particular one. I'd like to thank our sponsors, Curriculum Press, for providing content for me to use for this particular podcast. If you've got any questions about anything, any issues that I've raised in this one, do get in touch at kytospology at gmail.com. And as I mentioned earlier, uh, there's a number of related podcasts that I've that are connected to uh, the issues discussed in this particular one. So if you're interested in epigenetics, then do check that one out. Uh, I've also done a number of podcasts on the actual conditions that I referred to. So when I said that body mass increases are uh, leading to potentially CVD, diabetes, high blood pressure, cancer, osteoarthritis, stroke, for example, there's a range of podcasts on the Kytos channel about those particular conditions if you're interested. All that remains for me to say is thank you again for listening. Until next time.